I'm not the best marketing ops person. I know that I'm not. I have one on my team who's the best marketing ops person. I don't need to be because I was a sales ops and a CS ops person, right? But pick one, start there, interject yourself everywhere, learn everything, get Salesforce certified, and then just keep learning and expanding your knowledge base across the organization as you go. Welcome to the Ops Stars Podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. And today, I'm excited to kick off what is going to be a multi-episode series highlighting revenue operations professionals whose either their orgs or their teams all have stories to share around best practices for how operations can help to improve the customer experience or buying experience. So going beyond what we might think of as the initial buy or you know, landing that account to really thinking about the role of RevOps as driving revenue holistically. As a chief customer officer and someone who's been in customer experience her entire career, I think that revenue operations is a huge innovation in being able to really help an organization to drive that customer experience. It's what's been lacking in a lot of cases, especially around you know, orchestrating sales, marketing, and customer success. So very excited to introduce our guest today, Jordan Henderson, Director of Revenue Operations at Ring DNA. Ring DNA is a revenue acceleration platform. I think you use AI, right, to transform your sales teams into high-performing revenue engines. So uh, it's been, you've been a great uh, friend of the OpStars community and has presented our events. So I um, really appreciate all of the knowledge that you've been sharing with us over the years. You are also co-host of the RevOps podcast, which I just listen to every episode and I think it's fabulous. So I encourage everyone to check it out. It's packed with great advice, really practical advice that you can use. So welcome, Jordan. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. That was, by the way, one of like the best descriptions of Ring DNA that I've had from a host of anything I've ever attended. You actually went through, you know, like what we do at Ring DNA. We're a revenue enablement platform that uses AI to make higher performing sales and revenue operations teams. It's, nice. You nailed it. And I appreciate the shout out to the RevOps podcast. I'm still a little floored that you listen to every episode over the weekend. I find that that's amazing. So thank you. And I appreciate the kind words there. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah. Now I learned a ton. So, and yeah, and I invited you to the show even before I'd listened to sort of all of your episodes, um, because I know that you're very forward thinking in your perspective on revenue operations. I know you sort of come with the philosophy that it does need to extend beyond attracting new business to include retention and growth. And when now listening through your podcast, I've learned that you were once a CSM. So like, oh, a lot of this makes sense. He totally gets what it's like to be on that side of, of things. So I was like, yeah, your career path actually has been really unusual. I think there's a lot of unusual career paths in ops professions. It's not a straight line, right, from college to landing in in, uh, in RevOps. Um, Rich, so, Richard Scro from MSP, he always uh, defines RevOps as the island of misfit toys. <laughs> it's uh, just uh, sort of the place where we all end up where your skill set seems to just drive you into this role in some way, shape or form, right? I always love that description. It's the island of it. misfit toys, which <laughs> which is a really apt description for us. It is. I'd love to hear, you know, maybe just share a little bit about your journey, how you ended up in your current role. 
Yeah. So my journey is probably, I was, I was just on a recording last week with, with a handful of RevOps people. And I realized that mine is unique in, in a couple of ways. One, one of the most, probably the thing that catches the people the most is, is that I'm actually an attorney. I actually you know graduated law school, practiced law for a few years, was working at a firm downtown LA. And honestly, I was bored and I didn't like it. So I took an entry-level tech job. I left practicing law to just join technology, had no idea what revenue operations was, sales operations was, barely knew what, you know, computers were because I was a lawyer and like that's the world that you live in. So I took the entry-level tech job, basically SDR slash CSM sort of thing, started in a CSM role, then essentially was one of the first CSMs at that company, ended up managing that team, doing CSM ops, slowly kind of matriculated across the organization, ended up managing the SDR team, part of the sales team, the CS team, uh, leading marketing and doing ops for all those teams over the course of you know a handful of years, which this was now to make me feel old, like 10 years ago. And back then there, were, there was no such thing as like revenue operations. So my title was some crazy thing. I, I think I was like the senior director of sales, sales development and customer success and operations. Like it was just this like extravagant, like what, what other words can we add to say what he's doing? Because revenue operations wasn't a thing that people were called to do the thing that, that we do now. Yeah. And, and then sort of from there, you know, continued down that path, realized that my best strengths were, were not in like directly managing SDRs, directly managing CSMs, but actually just making sure those teams were communicating and helping, helping the business make sure that we were optimizing in all those ways to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. Interesting. So yeah, you definitely have established yourself as an industry leader in your mindset and how you're approaching this role. So we'll dig in a little bit more. You know, I think it is interesting you raised the titles. Uh, I think I saw LinkedIn reported out that the RevOps titles have increased by like 300% over the last like 18 months, which is yeah. crazy. So it's kind of just, you know, you've been doing this for a while, but I think it's reached its sort of tipping point. I think we're at sort of like, there's this always that tipping point, right? Where a lot of people are actually doing revenue operations and companies are hiring for true revenue operations. I also think a lot of that is like, let's just rename sales ops into rev ops and then they'll just keep doing sales ops. Like, I think there's a lot of that happening, which just kind of is going to happen until it goes away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's because it's not really what you're doing, right? Like, you're not, you're not really doing rev ops if you're just doing sales ops. That's not how this works. Well, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page. When you say yeah. true rev ops, we say it's the end. It's all of it. It's all across yeah. all of the buying and yeah, not just that that land, so to speak. So maybe tell us a little bit about the sort of structure and responsibilities of your teams as you say you're helping to kind of orchestrate across. How do you have your team set up? How do you think about that role? Yeah, I love our setup. I'm a huge advocate for it. I don't, I think it's very hard to get to. It takes a lot of buy-in. So, so the way we have it structured at, at RingDNA is, is I'm the head of revenue operations. I actually report directly to the CEO which I think is wonderfully important because we have executive mandate and executive buy-in for me to go talk to people that are like the CMO and the VP of sales and say, hey, we need to do this thing. I don't report to any of them. I report to my own department. I report to the CEO. And therefore, like I have the ability to have those conversations and do those important things. And then we actually don't have like a standalone marketing ops or a standalone sales ops or standalone CS. We actually have revenue operations managers, revenue operations components and people that are obviously better skilled at the marketing side or the CS side or the sales side. But at any given time, we can resource allocate ops folks to different teams as we see fit. So we're essentially a standalone department. And that gives us the ability to, frankly, better align all of us. We don't have silos in ops because I think that's a 
a fundamental place where silos are created. If you have marketing ops folks, sales ops folks, and a rev ops person, the rev ops person is sort of trying to align operations while the marketing ops and sales ops person are just doing different things. And so we, we've eliminated that by having our own department. And what it allows us to do is, is our job is to make sure that everything from marketing is, is going to sales properly, right? Like there's perfect alignment there. What sales is finding out is going back upstream to marketing so they can continue to improve and evaluate and iterate and that our sales team is properly, you know, working our customer success base to make sure we're maximizing our return on, on customers we've already acquired and that marketing is doing the same and that all that data is going back. We're essentially aligning all of our business to the revenue operation, which is marketing sales and customer success. And, and by not rolling into the CMO and by not rolling into the VP of sales, which I think is very typical, or even candidly, even like the CRO or the COO, like we are autonomous and we have that executive leadership buy-in to go do things and make changes that allow us to align those organizations. So I'm curious then, how does the CEO measure your success? What are the key things that they're looking at from you? Yeah, my it's it's interesting, right? Like my goals as the you know head of revenue operations are the company's goals. Like I, I am typically like if our top line revenue goal for 2022 is you know X million dollars, that's my goal. Like that, that I have to make that happen. And it's uh, I think typically people think of like, okay, you got to do these ten big initiatives to get there. And like while that's true, that's that's of course a piece of it. Most of our job isn't that sexy and fun. Like we're, we're not typically doing like, hey, here's this one big thing and it's going to generate $7 million. It's slight tweaks like everywhere, right? So, so we're every day, the ops team, we're analyzing, okay, if we increase number of conversions on this web form by 2.4% and we increase the number of those that, that book a meeting by 1.8%, like if we do these slight tweaks across the entire organization, we can increase revenue by $300,000 here and again here and again here and again here, right? And you do that over and over and over again. And it's just really tiny little boring things most of the time that are fundamentally changing your business over a period of time. And so while we're measured on the big, like overall company-wide numbers, those are my goals. How we achieve them is, is by setting much, much smaller goals. Like let's increase revenue here by incremental amounts. So my team has much smaller things, I guess. So your goals are that maybe net new business and the retention and growth, like if you yep. break down, right, how you're yep. going to achieve that. So those are your, let's call those your lagging indicators, right? Those key metrics you want to you hit and you're going to measure every quarter. I love what you're saying about it, sort of tackling what I would call those leading indicators or points along the buying journey, like making those improvements to conversion always has that big downstream impact. Yeah. And it happens after the buyer's journey too. Like not after, actually, I think everybody thinks buyer's journey ends with the contract signing. Buyer's journey ends when a customer churns. But like yeah. that's right. Like they're they're you're still a buyer until you actually churn. But yeah, like my overall goals are typically like overall company revenue, like year over year. Percentage of retention is a huge one. Net revenue retention is a metric that I typically look at, which is a great metric. We, we'll do some specific things like we launched our Yoda product last year, which is actually our AI-based real-time call coaching software. And we launched that in December of 2020. We have goals as a business of how many you know Yoda users we want to have in the first year that we have it as a product. And because that's a company-wide goal, then that's my goal too, right? And so it's often things like retention, growth, total revenue, like all of that. But there's certainly like product goals in there as well. And Okay. So wait a minute. You're telling me you've got you're looking at, let's say, the customer's experience interactions with content and people and tweaking all of those things. 
Yep. And you're also looking at product adoption. Totally. Yeah. Cause that That's goes back to everything. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Because product adoption is like an absolutely fundamental metric for your marketing team and your sales team and your business, right? Like it, it's not just a like product needs to do this and customer success will help them, which I think is how most people approach that. The reality is, is product adoption identifies upsells and identifies use cases for your marketing team to push out in the market to attract new customers. Like product adoption is a really powerful metric for your entire business. And if you're not using it in these ways, you're, you're missing opportunities. You don't actually know what products people are using or how they're using them. And therefore you're not selling properly. You're not meeting the buyers where they are. Cause if you go look at like, Hey, all of my finance customers are adopting the crap out of this product. Great. You should be pushing that product to finance people. And, and you should be upselling those customers based on this, right? Like now, you know, you go find the other ones that are in your base and push them towards it. It's valuable to them. So yeah, a thousand percent product adoption. We use the heck out of it. I use it all the time. I have dashboards purely focused around users added. Oh, that's impressive. So you monitor those touch points, you monitor the adoption. Do you then, as you said, you look for incremental improvements. Do you try to plan ahead to say, here's where I think I'm going to, how I'm going to hit the number. I'm going to hit it by improving conversion, or I'm going to hit it by driving, you know, upsell or making sure that we get adoption and stickiness because we know customers stay. Like, yeah. Do you think about that ahead of your quarter or year and then try to work back from that? How no, does that, totally. How does that go? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you think you have to think of it a little bit ahead, right? Like it's a bit of like best laid plans scenario. You you look at it and you're like, yeah, like we can increase it this much and this much. And, you know, you never really know what's going to happen, especially with new products. You don't really have any historic analytics to take a look at and say our growth has been consistently this. We want it, we want it to be this. But we set goals around like new user adoptions. We, we work with marketing and sales to run campaigns around increasing user amounts, which which I think is super important for the revenue operation. That's sort of a fundamental alignment between CS and back. By the way, your buyer, when we talk about aligning to the buyer's journey, the most likely people to buy from you are still your current customers. Like they are always the most likely to sign a new contract of, of buying something, right? And so if I'm gonna try to increase users on a specific product, I'm gonna start with the customer base always. And, and especially when we launch a new product, like I want the customer base to use it first because you know, it's easy to make available for them. We don't have to implement in a drastic onboarding way. There's a lot of reasons why we do that. But yes, it's it's very forward looking. So a quarter over, I wouldn't look, so we'll take like the Yoda product, for example. We I wouldn't set annual goals right away when launching a product like that, because I have no idea. Like it's just purely a guess at that point. So I would set quarterly and iterate, like here's where I think we can do. And then the next, after one quarter, I would look again and say, great, I totally missed that. I was wildly off. Mm-hmm. We had a goal of 800 seats. We got 250. So like, okay, next quarter, let's set this realistically at like 350 or 400. I want to do better, but 800 is not real, right? And so it's definitely like short-term goals is what I would recommend around those things. And do that on each campaign too, right? Like, okay, I, I set, say after the first quarter, I set it for 800, I got 250. And I ran a campaign with the marketing team that drove all 250 of those. Great. So if I run two of those campaigns, can I get to 500? Or, or is it going to fall off? And am I only going to get to 400, right? And so because I now know what my campaigns look like, and I now know what my sales team effort looks like on that, then I can start to like realistically look forward in a way that's meaningful. And so super, super a guessing game at the start though, I guess. Makes a lot of sense. So then you sort of probably have a sense of what the product roadmap is going to be, what's going to be coming up, which ones are going to go into say, let's say it's beta, but 
that soft yeah. launch, see how it's going to go, find your ICPs or your persona. Or well, your well, you guys do this. You guys do this at Lean Data because your CS yeah. team reaches out to me about product updates all the time. And I love it. They're always like, hey, here, check out this thing that's coming. And it's always something cool. So, so you guys totally do the same thing, right? And you're pushing me to use new products and features all the time, which, which I do use new products and features all the time. So I know you guys are doing the same things. It's both ways too, though, right? So like I would assume at Lean Data, if I call up Alejandro, who I think is my CSM and say, hey man, uh, like I'm trying to do this thing and I just can't figure out how to do it. Like there's this missing feature that he's immediately going to your product team and saying he needs that feature, right? Like I know he is because then three months later that feature rolls out and you guys push it across the entire base because I'm your ICP. And, and like, if I want it, everybody wants it. And so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's both ways, but we're definitely using like product features. We know what's in the roadmap. Mm-hmm. We do here internally a weekly meeting with our pro- like our head of product and the entire revenue operation. And he walks through, here's what we expect in the next release. Here's the release after that. Like, here's the features that are coming out. Get ready to start pushing this. Once in a while, we're like, cool, it's two weeks out, but we're going to start pushing it now because it's so exciting, you know, like when there's big things. But yeah, keeping those teams aligned product-wise, super important to staying aligned to your buyers. You know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe in the spirit of helping someone who aspires to be in a role orchestrating, being connective tissue like you are, maybe a little bit about how did you build up to taking on, you know, all these different sort of let's um, processes or areas in which your team really helps to to drive the revenue? Did you start in one area and then build up? Maybe just a little bit about your journey. Because if I'm just starting out, what do I start with? Like, I can't yeah. do everything you're doing, Jordan. So what do I do first? Totally. Or how do I think about what to do first? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's sort of two answers to that question, right? I think most people that end up in RevOps start in sales ops. I think that will probably always remain true to some degree. And you probably have to start as like an SDR analyst or like a sales ops analyst and like work your way up. I started in CS and CS ops was my first ops role, really. The biggest thing is I don't really care where you start. Sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops, they're all roles that are super important. The biggest thing is to learn hell out of that one role, pardon my French. And then, but learn the other roles too, right? So like when I was in CS ops, the most important thing that I did as a CS person and running the CS team was say, great, like, I don't feel like the salespeople, I, I'm looking at my customer base as a whole because I'm managing the CS team and I'm running the ops for that. And I don't think we're pulling the upsells out of this base that we could be. We're not driving the amount of revenue from this organization that we could be. And the reason we're not doing that is because sales is not working these. And they're not doing it not because they don't want to. I, I know if I go to the salespeople and say, hey, I got upsells for you, they want to sell those deals, they get paid for it, right? They're not doing it because they're not equipped to do it. They don't have the training. They don't have the enablement. They don't have the data and the information of who to reach out to. And so find problems like start in a role, find problems like that, and then solve them. Because when you solve that problem, you understand you know what sales needs to be able to work the CS opportunities. Then you start to understand the sales job. You start to, start to understand sales operations. Do that all the way through. Just work with the other teams, like force yourself to take the sales ops job, take the CS ops job, take the marketing ops job, but interject yourself everywhere that you can. Like there's no reason. And everybody, no person will ever say like, oh, he's just in marketing ops. I don't want him to help sales. Absolutely not. They're going to love every second of it. Just interject yourself and learn everything you can about the other teams as you go. And you're always going to be, I'll be totally candid. You're always going to be weaker in some ops perspective than, than others, right? Like I, not the best marketing ops person. I know that I'm not. 
I have one on my team who's the best marketing ops person. I don't need to be because I was a sales ops and a CS ops person, right? But pick one, start there, interject yourself everywhere, learn everything, get Salesforce certified, and then just keep learning and expanding your knowledge base across the organization as you go. I love that. And you clearly have a voracious appetite to continue to solve problems. And I think that is a mindset of most who go into operations. Yeah. I think it's problem solving and context switching because the more and more you take on, the more the more you're going to have to exercise that ability to like do one thing for 20 minutes, completely shift to another department for 20 minutes, shift back. And it is exhausting. I will grant it for everybody. Everybody in my role is listening right now going, oh my God, yeah, that is super exhausting. The muscle you're going to have to build, start small, get there. But like, it's a very important muscle. Are there some things that you're excited about in... I mean, there's a lot of new technologies, I think, coming out for sales and marketing and automation. And I mean, it's Craig at uh, Gartner said it's like tech mayhem. I don't want to get too much into a technology conversation, but I think as you're looking and learning you know, about what's out there, are there things that you're excited about, new capabilities that you look to bring into the organization? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so without diving too much into it, we, we use lean data. We're big power users of lean data, I think. I like to think we're good power users. I don't know for sure, actually. But we use lean data and ring DNA, which are two fundamental tools for us in Salesforce, right? That's, that's our sales tech stack, really. There, there's some other things in there, but I'm really, we're using a lot of AI here to do a lot of real-time sales coaching and ramping, which I think is very important and, and is going to be like sort of a fundamental shift in the industry. So I'm super excited about that, which I would be remiss if I didn't mention Mm -hmm. that that's that's a huge piece of it. I'm excited about what y'all are doing from a lead routing standpoint. I think you're solving a really awesome problem that the speed to lead is the most fundamental metric for revenue operations in my mind. And I think y'all solve that problem. And so, you know, kudos. And I think that's the continued iteration of how you're routing and how you're deduping and how you're keeping an org clean and how you're measuring things now is, is super, super valuable. I'm excited to see that continue. And then the, the sort of like third thing that I think is, was like a wonderful promise that just hasn't been fulfilled yet for sales organizations and marketing organizations, to be frank, is intent data. Like, I love the idea of intent data. I think it's like a wonder, like I said, I think it's a wonderful promise. Like where we can get all this information. We can identify like who's interested in you to help your targeting from the top down, marketing sales, et cetera, right? I just don't think it's ever been done quite right yet. And I think that's a lot of reasons. Like if I go look at Sixth Sense and I go look at Bombora and I go look at, you know, any of these platforms, they all have different algorithms. They're all using different data points. You know, tracking things on the internet is hard now. As cookies get worse and worse, it gets more and more difficult. And it's never been really AI-based. That doesn't really integrate with LinkedIn that well, other than ads, right? So you're sort of missing these huge pieces of the intent picture or always have been. And, and what you end up with is like a directionally good start, but I would say like 40% of the puzzle of actually identifying what your top targets should be. Instead of like intent data, theoretically, it should be let me just pull a list and there's my top targets, right? But I think, and I'm hopeful, I'm very, very hopeful that over the next three to five years, things like AI, things like better integrations, things like platform unifications are going to make intent data a much more powerful thing to loop into the sales and marketing tech stack. No, I love that. Before I came to Lean Data, I was at Cisco and led the team of data scientists who were responsible for analyzing customer data for insights. And and one of the things that that team built out were advanced analytical models to kind of understand Cisco's customer base. And 
you're talking about 800,000 customers. So it's quite a playground for data scientists. Yeah. They love it. But what was interesting is we built out propensity to buy models, but they're some of that is pretty unique to your organization. I think that's the tough part because you yeah. really have to think about like what is it that's going to be a trigger to intent or need in your customer base. So I'll take a simple example for Cisco since you know we sell networking gear and wire buildings and put in you know wireless endpoints. If a company bought some real estate or was putting in buying buildings, that was a key trigger in the market. But it's unique, right? Yeah. Certain size company, unique to you as a... So I think it's going to be interesting because I think there's going to have to be some kind of a blend where you can kind of hone in on the triggers that are right for your customers based on their needs. So yeah, that's a really good point. I love that. It's a perfect example to sort of iterate what what, what I think is the key problems with intent, which is it, it is specific. Like intent data needs to be specific. Right now, I think it typically looks at like, hey, here's your seven competitors and who's interested in them. But like competition isn't direct and that's not a fair comparison mm-hmm. most of the time, right? Like who outreach is going after isn't the same person who we're going after. Even though like from an intent data platform standpoint, we're the same business. Like we're not, we're absolutely not. And what I'm excited about is I think that you can start to use things like AI as, as it evolves and, and becomes more productive to, to inject your customer base data into the intent algorithm from the start, right? And then they can use that information to layer into, but not solely predict. Because I think the other scary piece of it I've seen is companies say like, great, here's all of our customers. Here's the intent triggers that they had. Like, let's just use that 100%. Like, cool. But if you were only running marketing campaigns at one specific thing, your, your data is skewed and it's totally worthless here anyways, right? So it needs to be a piece of it. But I think you, I think what you've hit on is exactly right. It needs to be tailored specific to your business at scale as a company, right? So like Sixth Sense needs to be installed. It needs to be able to install that into 4,000 companies, but have it still be tailored, which is not really scalable right, right now. Not. Yeah, like, it's a terrifying <laughs> proposition. But there's like... I'm not an engineer, but I know like the cool things our engineering team is doing with AI. There's definitely a way to do this with AI. Like it absolutely is. I think Jack, to your, you know, I know you're very centered on and think about the customer as your starting point. And I liked one of the things you said on, on one of the various podcasts that I listened to. I don't remember which episode, but was like your role in RevOps is to pro- make sure that you're thinking about things from perspective of of your clients and your prospects. So, you know, you understand that in each you know, group you're going to be geared towards, you know, sales is definitely wants to land new business and CS wants to have growth and, you know, marketing wants to get their their pipeline. But you're kind of looking across going, let's make sure that we understand the ICP, that we understand their need, that we are, you know, looking at it holistically from their perspective. Um, and that's where I think, you know, as we think about anytime we want to kind of sense and, and approach customers, you would love it to be because you can solve their problem, mm-hmm. right? That's the key. And if you can hit on that, and I think that's what you talk about, why do you get into feature adoption? And what's like, I want to know that this is the right fit for this ICP, for this persona, and that I'm going to make their life easier because again, it's it's a cliche, right? You can, it's so easy to sell to somebody when you solve their problems simply. It's not, it's not even selling at that point. It's a consultation, right? right? right. And there's, I love that. There's something like, I'm not going to remember the exact set. It's like 67% of buyers don't think that businesses or sellers can actually understand their problem. Like that's that, which is terrifying, right? And your job in revenue operations is to align customer success, marketing, and sales 
to the buyer's experience. The prepositional phrase is very, very important. And that the buyer's experience, if 67% of buyers don't think that a business or a seller can understand their problem, they certainly don't think they can solve it. And they're gonna, they're literally walking into that conversation expecting a bad buying experience. And that's that's terrible. And so this is an easy way to differentiate yourself as, a, as an organization is to go to your customers, find out what problems you're solving, find out what their buyer's journey was like, find out what their buyer's journey continues to be like. What problems are you still solving for them? What problems are the experience that you could be solving for them, right? What's important to them? Why do they stay? Take that information over to marketing and say, great, like we should tailor this our audience to these things because if I see marketing materials that actually in a succinct way identify the problem that I'm experiencing right now, my confidence level just went through the roof that I can call a sales rep there. And that sales rep is going to actually understand my problem and help me solve it. And then he's not a sales rep. He's just my friend at that point, because like, that's what I want. I want that consultative approach. And my job is actually less of, my job is very metrics driven, but my job is actually to use the metrics and data and everything that we have as an organization, which can include all of our customer data to make, to hit our revenue targets, to hit our churn targets, to hit our retention targets, to hit all those things by making the buyer's experience better because that's how you do those things, right? And so, so I love that. Yes, absolutely. And it's a terrifying metric. It also means if 67% of buyers think that, all of your competitors are doing it wrong. And so that means if you do this, you have a huge opportunity to just crush everybody. Like that's huge. Love it. Love it. I have sort of a final closing question for you that I ask everybody. Who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Oh, that's a really good question. There's uh, probably a couple of people that, I, that I've learned a lot from over that I haven't met in person. And one of them, they might be surprised that I say this, but Rosalind Santelena, which I'm sure you'll have on the podcast. And, and I would love to just have lunch with her and hear more from her. I've learned a lot from her stuff over the years. She, she's awesome. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant ops person. And uh, Scott Sutton over at, uh, he's like the head of revenue operations over at Zoom Info. I've had a few conversations with him in the past. Love his stuff. Think he's brilliant. Zoom Info is obviously gobbling up the world right now and doing really, really well. And he's done incredible things there. Definitely a person I'd love to meet with. I'm sure there's like 20 others that I'd love to have lunch with. There's so many, so many people that are doing interesting things. And most of them probably disagree with a lot of what I say, which is quite, quite fun. So um, yeah. All right. Awesome. Great to know. Well, thank you, Jordan. I appreciate your time. So my key takeaways are it's great if you can report to the CEO, have those big goals of driving revenue on behalf of the company. I love the spirit of being in a coordination role, kind of a connective tissue, but you've got to be agile and context switch. So it's a pretty special role here in in RevOps. Um, Totally. I think the most important thing on the CEO piece, by the way, is just executive alignment. You just need your executive team to actually care that you're doing things. That's really the key thing because I don't expect most people to get to report to the CEO. That's a very, Ringine is very bought into revenue operations. So I get to do that. I do think it's the future though. It just makes sense because if you think about you building, we just had the OpStars, you know, building a modern revenue engine. So that theme is a little bit on my mind, but you're building an engine, right? You've got all these component parts. Those folks need to play their role and run that part. You need someone who can oversee the whole and, and kind of help steer everybody in the right direction. It's the classic, can't really get you know sales and marketing to work together well and the handoffs to, well, you know what? If you put RevOps in and these processes and you facilitate that, 
you don't need the people to change, right? You can just enable them to get stronger and guide them. So I think it's, it should be the way of the future because it just, it makes sense to, to be the orchestrator across all of these roles. I I agree a thousand percent. Yes. Like it absolutely should be. Yeah. So we'll be bold and we'll tell all the CEOs out there. They should definitely, if you're a CEO, definitely have a, yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, pull your RevOps team under you directly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And and, uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast for the entire weekend. I appreciate it. The Upstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.